0: I've got my accountant who lives about four hours from where I am. I've got two lawyers that I use. Both of them are probably well. one of them's in the north of England, one's in the south of England. So they're, you know, they're good anywhere from an hour to three hours away. I've got a bookkeeper that we have in the team. She's four hours away. I've got a personal assistant. We've got architects. They're all over the country. So they don't have to necessarily be in the area that you're invested. But you do need these people on your team. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe, and you're listening to the Growth Tribes podcast with Dr. Rowe and Harms. This is the podcast where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to develop and record these podcasts is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine sincere hope, that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have gained at least one insight that you can take away and apply directly into your own life. Practical tools voices that come in from both generations the younger generation with tips and tools and the older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience so that you can help unlock your true potential to give the opportunity to make changes both on a personal professional financial and relationship level and to give you a chance to impact both your lives and the lives of other people around you so we welcome
1: you welcome to the growth tribes podcast Hello, it's Harms here and welcome to part two of this Growth Tribes episode special specifically on the wealth creating, expanding episode, specifically talking about property investing. And if you remember from part one, and I do encourage you, if you're joining this and you're thinking, what the hell is Harms talking about? You must go listen to the property investing and property investing business creation episode which is the one just before this so for memory that's episode 22 and we spoke about three big areas in which you can go and create wealth one being property two being business and three being trading and within business is also online business there so our focus very much is on property investing row you've got two decades plus you've been teaching property investing for two decades plus plus physically investing yourself. I've been now investing, feels like a lifetime, but it's just six, seven years. And we've started to build a portfolio ourselves. Where me and Ro come from is we have two different kinds of way we actually build our business. So Roe is more of the hands-off property investor now as he's been doing it for m- many years. And he might re- re-emphasize that, or expand on that in a moment whereas I'm actually still building my business. So I'm in the middle of a semi, I'm in between hands-on and hands-off, I'm there. But in the early days, I was very much hands-on with the property business. So that's where we are. and We've been sharing with you, if you tuned in on episode one, 10 essential components of building a property business. And we've been talking into that space. Now, I would encourage you to go check in on episode one again, just to really capture what the benefits are for, people who are building a property business. And if you're my age, 30-ish area, and you're from my generation, the benefits are incredible the earlier we do it. And I'm sure if you asked anybody listening who has either started investing or has been thinking about it, the question, when do you wish you started investing or building a property business, their answer is always 20 years ago. It was always 10 years ago. It's always, uh, I should have done it yesterday. So we encourage you to listen to the next 10 steps and really take notes alongside with what we're talking about. So Ro, hello to yourself. Welcome on another episode of the Growth Tribes podcast. That's a brief introduction because I very much want to get into property investing and the next parts that we discuss. So maybe you can capture what we've discussed so far in a short summary, and then we can go straight into step number four hi everybody thanks Holmes. and again thank you for joining us as always on the growth
0: tribes podcast and for us this is a really passionate subject so we had to stretch it over two different podcasts you might have heard in the last one that i got a bit carried away harms got a bit carried away and i think we got <laughs> we got through the first three areas so we're going to wrap up the last seven in this section because actually in part one we talked about vision We talked about education and strategy so number so the 10 components number one component number one vision we talked about component number two education and strategy and then we talked about component number three which is credit status and mortgages and we spent a lot of time in those first three particularly two and that's so important because there are so many different strategies in property and we covered some of them in the last podcast And that actually in itself could easily take up a whole day if i was running property training right directly in front of you so they were the three elements and i want you to go back and revisit those there's no point in us recapping them now because we need to move into the next part so let's go through the other seven outstanding areas the components that make up you as a good property investor and component number four is market research so as we go through this as we did in the last one one of us will start it and then we'll just keep adding to it because we both obviously do this and we'll come from different perspectives as well and harms you just made a good point there you you talked about the younger generation i have to say if you're listening to this and you're the older generation ie you might be 40 50 60 years of age don't think that you're out of the game and it's too late I have taught people from the age of 18 years of age right through to a gentleman that was 92 years of age. So typical age groups I see are the, the younger generation, sort of the 30s, late 20s, early 30s. And then we get a lot at the moment people and you'll vouch for this, Harminder, 40, 45, 50, 55, really frustrated with their careers or feeling that they need a more sense of security or they've worked a lot of years but they still haven't got their financial security. So it really doesn't matter what age you are. That's the point I want to get across here. And uh, I think, Harms, that was a bit of a shock to you when you started coming on and and being involved with the teaching, just what
1: that spread of ages were. Do you remember we we talked about in the early days? I mean, the spread of ages and what really fascinated me was and what really hit home for many of the people that we interact with and help train in the area of property investing is they could have been 45, 50, and they and they've been working in their career which are actually great careers you know great professions that pay reasonably well and you know they've worked 20 years 30 years but they don't even have any cash in the bank to show for that right and that was another big wake up for them it's like oh my goodness okay maybe i still enjoy my career so this is the alternative way of thinking i still enjoy my career but i have no mechanism for putting cash in the bank i've got no mechanism for a supplementary income my expenses match my income. And it, they're always in this tricky bind. And once we show them the strategies, once we, which we've already discussed, so part one is strategies, they are thinking, what my goodness, I just have to have X size portfolio or X income coming into my life. And that will drastically change everything for me. It means I have another thousand, two thousand pound a month in addition to what I'm currently earning. And that's an amazing feeling for them. And many of the people we see go on a year later, two years later, three years later, four years later, and they've achieved that. And they're saying, oh my goodness, thank goodness for our meeting. Um, That moment we met and you taught us these strategies, these skills, and you educated us on property investing, it is just mind-blowing. And then two years, three years, four years later, they've achieved it. They've either re- replaced their career or they've got a supplementary income in addition to what they're earning in their job and life is so much more enjoyable for them Mm. and particularly in times when the market
0: conditions change like we're experiencing as we're recording this right now so i think you know if nothing else think of it two things one choices and second security Mm. so it's providing a safety net in difficult times or in good times, but equally it gives you choices in difficult times and good times to step away from your job, to have more holidays, to treat yourself to other things. If you're getting an extra 30, 40, 50,000 a year, whatever the number is, it just makes a difference. But to get there, we have to follow this system, this approach, these, these components. So working through them, then number four is market research. Now, market research is referring to the research that you do relevant to property investing in the area that you want to invest there's two levels of market research there is the national market research in other words how's the overall economy performing and there's 11 indicators that I normally walk people through not going to go through that today <laughs> because that, that would be another couple of podcasts but we, we need to look at what the overall market is doing in the country that we're living in where we're looking to invest. Having done that and established actually it's a pretty good time right now, and that sort of typical indicators might be things like, for example, your interest rates. That would be a certainly a, a big a big indicator. Interest rates. And also another area would be house prices, overall market house prices for the whole country. Now, even that alone can start to help us tune in and look at a couple of very specific indicators for example one being the house price indicator which looks at overall salaries looks at overall house prices you take the average house price divided by the average salary and you can get a ratio that ratio can tell us where we are in terms of the house price ratio system a low house price ratio is usually a good sign there's opportunities for growth whereas a high house price ratio means the market might be topping out and it's about to turn down so these are kind of things that you need to be aware of then we can narrow into the local market. And I'll bring Harminder in a minute on on this one. So as we go into the local market, now we're starting to decide what strategy we're looking for. So I start to look at market research. So let's pick two examples. I'll take one and let's say Harminder takes the other one. I'll take the student market, for example, looking at researching to rent to students. Harms, maybe you could look at social housing and government housing, that type of thing. Okay. So if I'm going into an area And I've now done my national research and I can see that indicators are pretty strong for the country at the moment. It's a good time to be looking at properties, a good time to be investing. Now I need to start to look at pockets around the country. Where are there opportunities? Now, if my strategy, as we talked about previously, was a house of multiple occupation, you might remember that in part one, I decide I'd like to rent to students because I know that students are there for a whole year, some of them for three years, even four years. Maybe I can get a set of students to stay with me all the way through. It's no good just finding a house. I've got to find the house in the right area and that market's got to be strong as well. So, for example, I I met uh, an investor some years ago who would bought properties in an area where the university was actually reducing and moving and relocating. So he bought two properties that he was renting out to students and he bought them about six months before. And then all of a sudden he started getting these huge voids, periods where the tenants, there was going to be no tenants. He couldn't fill them into the next year and it turns out that he hadn't done his market research to find out that that campus was relocating the university wasn't closing down it was just repositioning itself so where he'd bought was fine had he been there 10 years ago but not now So that's the sort of market research you've got to be looking at. You'd be talking to the universities. You'd be finding about student grants. You'd be looking at where are the optimum locations to be buying in that area and where do students want to hang out? Are there bowling alleys, cinemas, social environments, uh, things like movie cinemas and shopping malls, that type of thing? Certainly groceries and looking for amenities like supermarkets, et cetera. So I'm going in and I'm finding out what's going on. I'm looking at what the council's doing in the area in terms of regeneration. And what I'm looking for are areas where I know are popular for students. But equally, from a market research perspective, I want to look at properties that are ideally potentially on the edge of that, lower value that I can buy, add value, get an increase in the profit on the long-term gain, but also get the tenants staying there as well. And also market research in terms of are there areas where people will drive a little bit further away from the university? Are there areas where students prefer to cycle or walk? So I'm starting to do that research on the ground. That would be for,
1: say, students as an example. Harms, do you want to give us a few clues on social housing? Yeah. Okay. So I was making some quick brief notes in the background because Social housing is a fantastic strategy, as we discussed. And essentially, social housing is going to be providing housing for people in society who are either more vulnerable, need a way to integrate back into society. Maybe they need temporary accommodation. But essentially, just think of social housing, which is not private rental, but the a different sector where essentially the tenant themselves... May be paying just part of the rent or no rent at all, which means the actual rent is being paid by the government, a housing association, a charity, a program that looks after vulnerable tenants. So that's social housing as a reminder. Now, I'll give you two areas in which you need to approach social housing from. Number one, in relation to market research specifically. So, number one is identify In areas that work for your strategy, for example, is it buy-to-let? Do you want HMO social housing? Are you looking for a block of flats which need a social housing program associated with it? Now, once you determine what kind of housing you would like to be involved in, and it may change in a moment, uh, what housing you would like to be involved in, you will then approach, typically you would approach councils, government programs, housing associations, and charities And ask them the question, within this particular region, postcode area, and this is part two, what programs do you have and what kind of housing do you need to support this program to make sure that your tenants have housing, safe housing, reliable housing? Then a final question, just as as it's coming to mind is, what specification do you need this housing to be finished in so there's a few points to get you started to get your conversation started with governments Mm. housing associations because that's really the key here which is to start a market research conversation with a specific body in a specific area now there's a lot more questions to ask but they are the they're the first areas to start with now let's assume that you found an area in the country and the local housing associations association says okay, great. We're looking for one and two bedroom apartments and houses if you do have them available, but we prefer apartments. Now this goes back to the point number one. Is that an area which you are comfortable in? Have you got education in that specific strategy? If the answer is yes, you know how to handle flats, one, two bed houses, then great. Now what you would now go and do is know that there's a demand for that kind of property in that specific area. So what we've really done here is understand that there's a market for a particular social housing product or service that a charity, a housing association, a government program would like. Mm. Once you've had that conversation with them, also just work out with them, what is the program? Ask them, is there guaranteed rent contracts in place In, in addition to that? What is your maintenance team like? How are you getting funding? So these are all different ways to explore what kind of program they have, what kind of tenants will they be housing, what is best suited to these tenants. So for example, they may want housing which is on a bus route, because these tenants may not have access to vehicles, they may have Only the requirement where they just need to go to the local Asda, Sainsbury's via the bus route and then come home. That's pretty much their day to day. So what we're really looking for here is what is the ideal marketplace for these kind of housing and strategy? So that's social housing. And some really, I just wanted to leave you with some questions to get your conversation started with Mm -hmm. and also who to speak to on the get go. So these are not typically, you're not going to walk into an estate agent and say, hey, I'm looking for social housing programs. You need to approach the governments, the councils, housing associations, those kind of bodies. The, the other thing as well to make a note of here is that the, the geography of the two examples
0: we've given are very different. If you're looking at social housing, it will be generally in areas of more regeneration. And it's unlikely to be right next to, for example, a university. So your student tenants will geographically be located in a different part of the town to your social housing not always but generally Mm. and of course you know we're making the assumption for example that there is social housing in that particular town it might be that that particular town you're looking at only has one particular area you might go i found a really brilliant area i can i'm sure i can fill this with social housing and the council say well Yeah, but we actually don't have any social housing grants or areas in that particular part of town. This is where we're focused. So Mm -hmm. the councils, the specialists, you know, you just heard from Harminder, they're talking about charities, etc. They will give you a really good indication of where they're looking. But from the start, you've got to know what your strategy is, which is why we go back to number two in the component process, which is strategy. And we're just talking about two strategies here and remember each of these have subtleties within them as well mm. and we're not trying to teach you how to invest in property here that's not the purpose of the podcast you really need to go on as we talked about in the previous one and learn how to do this properly get yourself educated attend seminars do online trainings get yourself a mentor etc what we're trying to do is give you an indication here of what's involved so you can go actually this sounds really exciting I'd love to have a business with a structure like this I reckon I could do this yes yeah. that's a, one of the big reasons we're doing this as well and yeah. for you Harms when you walked through the door at that first training that I happened to be running, this type of thing wasn't really on your radar, was it? You you were just like, okay, I just want to buy some properties and make some income. The the level of going down to this depth, i.e. the market research, the walking the door, speaking to the councils, shaking hands, putting a proposal in front of them,
1: your brain wasn't in that place when I first met you. Is that correct? That's correct. And to give you some context, when my brain did get into that place and I realised that this is a business and there's some work required, and there's a whole bunch of steps to go through actually a step almost a step-by-step process in order to start to research the market i think our first strategy research took about six to seven months worth of research now that includes desktop and in-person research so it's a combination of both now that was that was i'm going back six seven years ago now so if i now say right fast forward to today where last year we also shifted our strategy where we source social housing products and houses for clients. That process has probably took us about, it was quicker because we have done the process before and know how to do it, but it was probably around five months in market research in order for us to pivot strategy as an example. So I just want to explain that because to give people context at home, what really scares me is when somebody says, okay, great, I'm buying an investment property, whether it's a friend or friend of a friend, and they know what I do as a, a business. So then they ask me for advice once the work has been done, typically. And what they would say is, right, I've got this house. Okay, great. So have you done, and I, I would actually leverage your points, you know, your 11 indicators that you discuss with people in person, yeah. these 11 points. I say, okay, well, have you done this, 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 and this, and this? And often they've maybe done one or two of those items. And that's when I start to get worried because I know it takes time to actually put the work in to identify as much as you can within that marketplace, which is applicable to your strategy in order for it to be effective. And this is
0: this is great. And actually, as we go through this, I think it's important we raise this property done the wrong way will lose you money. That's the bottom line. And so there are mistakes people make not having a vision, not having the right education having no clear strategy, not understanding mortgages and not understanding the credit status. So everything we're teaching you, imagine not doing that. They are the typical mistakes people make. Hence, we're showing you what to do. Having done this, you know, for many, many years across millions of pounds worth of property. So that's step four, market research. Mm. Step five, is sourcing or finding the properties so step five or let's say component five because there's not necessarily always a sequence to this some parts will definitely have a sequence some elements of this you're jumping in and out of these components on a consistent basis you might be running market research parallel in five different areas but only sourcing in three of those for example so sourcing is about finding properties now finding properties is not market research market research is looking at the overall market to start with getting understanding of what works what doesn't work where the demand is you know who's interested does this market really fit my strategy once you found an area that you go wow students can definitely live in this area or harminder might say oh great social housing there's definitely opportunity here now we've got to get on the ground now the filing of the properties is the nitty-gritty getting online pulling up all the different websites. So for example, if you are in the United Kingdom, you might look at Right Move or zoopla for example. Mm-hmm. You know, in USA, there's similar websites. Even in America, for example, you've got for salebyowner.com. I seem to remember when I was over there looking in Singapore, you've got Singapore type property market websites, although the market is not great to find properties there, unfortunately, because they're so highly priced. But for every single country you go into, there will be portals. And these portals are basically websites that provide you with the actual information of the properties that are for sale. To give you a few other examples, you can go to websites to do with newspapers. So newspapers.com has information about newspapers in an area. If you go into that website, you can up a local newspaper online and then you can see in the classified ads properties for sale there as another example. Or you can just get on the ground and go driving around are looking for properties. And when I'm teaching the training live, Harminda, we go about through about 10 to 12 different ways to find properties, don't we? Yeah. And each person has a different approach. But if you're busy, as Harminda will tell you, you know, from his own lifestyle at the moment, even whilst we're in lockdown, as we're recording this, they're still looking at a lot of properties online. You can do a lot of research online. Now, this has to be coupled with step six, which we'll come to in a minute. But the finding of properties has to be like a narrowing down of the funnel. So in other words, now Harminda, let's say he and I are both sat next to two computers on the same evening. So I'll be looking for areas which are near a university, near a college, those sorts of areas. So I'll have postcodes, I've done my market research and I've narrowed it down to a certain area. Harminda will be given other areas from the contacts he's got from the council, from some of the local charities, and now we're looking for different types of properties so let's go back over to you harms for a minute give me a couple of types of property you might be looking for
1: for social housing so mm. if you were narrowing it down and you're online what would you be looking for so i would be looking for so we do we do two parts for social housing number one is providing the housing association or authority with a two bed property so this is a house a two bed house they prefer two beds rather than three beds right and that's Part one and in part two would be we're looking for houses which we can convert into a house of multiple occupation, which we spoke about in part one. An ideal scenario is a four bed or a five bed house. So we're looking for three bedrooms upstairs and two rooms downstairs that can be isolated and renovated to add additional bedrooms. Can I just jump in? For those of you that are
0: listening from overseas, because I know this from when I was in Australia this last summer. when, When he says bed, he means bedroom, so a two bedroom house. And when we refer to a reception room, which people didn't know about when I was in Australia, we're referring to a room on the ground floor that is not used as a bedroom as a standard home. So in other words, it could be a reception room, a dining room, could be a study, and that could be converted into a bedroom. So just language-wise, just understand what we're referring to. So sorry, go back to that one. Just expand yeah. on that a bit more. Hum.
1: Yeah, So, so that's the two things we're looking for. One is a two-bedroom house, which means it's got two bedrooms upstairs, and downstairs can be configured However, it could have an open lounge, it could have a kitchen, we're not bothered there. Now, part two must have three separate bedrooms upstairs, or it can be converted into three separate bedrooms upstairs, right. and two separate bedrooms downstairs, and then still have a living room, a place where you can have dinner, as an example, and a kitchen in addition. So that's that's the two areas we're looking at when we're doing our online research. So imagine you're sat
0: there. And you've got that list in front of you. Uh, The listener, as you listen to us now, you got on a piece of paper. You would literally search for that type two two bedroom or three bedroom houses in a very specific location, not across the whole town, but in just the area where you have been doing your market research and found out where the market is strong. For me, if I was doing students, I might be looking at a four or five or even a six bedroom house, depending on how big I want my house of multiple occupation to be and I'd like to see at least one or two reception rooms downstairs. So that if it's a five bedroom house, that's five rooms letable upstairs. I've got two reception rooms. I would want to keep one of those reception rooms as a common area because students typically like to hang out together and ideally a common area close to the kitchen. This is where your online plans are really useful. If you go to rightmove.com or Zoopla, click on the section that says plan, the house plan comes up and straight away I can see a kitchen. Right next to it is a dining room And right next to that in the front of the house is might be a lounge. I can say, great, well, let me turn the dining room into a a general communal area. But let me turn the front facing room to the roadside into a lettable room. So I've got five upstairs, one downstairs at six rooms, lettable. one lounge, which can be knocked through into the kitchen. I've got a nice social area, very different type of house to your social
1: media, social housing or your asylum seeker properties. Correct, Harms? Absolutely. Yeah, It's, it's a completely different vibe. So. When I we are looking, we are looking, just like you said, Roe, very specifically. Now, you may be listening to this and thinking, that's not what I normally do. What I normally do when I'm looking for houses <laughs> is I just go on right move. I look, look for the for, price. Look for the price. So this is what typically people do. They look for the price of the property and normally in the market area, which is quite nearby to them. So if you are, you know, I used to live in West London. What I did before I met Roe was I would just look at houses in West London on Rightmove and just look at, oh my goodness, the prices are increasing. Oh, this house looks cheaper than the other houses. So that would be my criteria for finding for finding houses in my local area. So we are yeah. politely saying that is not the approach here. We're looking in a specific market for a very specific type of housing. Yeah. Now, so remember, if you, if you want to simplify what we've been talking about, there's
0: 10 components. We're now extracting part of component two which is strategy we're checking that in against the market research which is component number four and then from that we've narrowed down to sourcing which is component number five and we're just using two examples here one is a student example as a strategy the other one is a social housing or could be asylum seeker which is another strategy again Now we go to component number six. Component number six is the analysis. This is where those of you that go, oh my God, not the maths. No, please, Dr. Rowe, no (laughs) maths. Yes, but it's not complicated maths. It's Mm. actually fairly straightforward once you've done it 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,
1: 60 times. Very formulaic, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's formulaic. And for a lot of people, They don't appreciate that actually property investing isn't that complicated from a numbers perspective, as long as you're good at pulling all the numbers into one place and then breaking it down. So what is analysis? Now, look, you know, we've talked about three core areas of strategy, one being creative, you know, creative strategies, one being passive income, monthly income from your properties, and another one being cash generation. Again, this is a a podcast. It's not intended to be a property training online program that we might have for you, for example. That's not what it's designed to do. It's really trying to give you headlines and an understanding and maybe inspire you. So from an analysis perspective, very, very simply, if you're looking to buy and renovate and sell a property, that is a cash strategy. We need to know how much we're buying it for. So the analysis would involve my cost of buying. So there's the purchase price. There's all the associated costs with that. And then, of course, there's the renovation. Let's say Harms was my builder. He goes out, comes back to me and says, hey, Dr. Rowe, I reckon from all the breakdown, this is my quote to you. My quote is 18,450 pounds, whatever it is. And that's to do the work necessary to convert it into, for example, a student accommodation. Or it might be that the conversion into social housing might be 6, 16,450 because it's slightly less work to do. So the analysis has to involve all my entry costs, my buying of the property, how much am I buying it for, any renovation costs, and any financial and legal costs as well. So there's all the associated costs with that. Then I look at what it's going to sell for and then. simple calculation is what it sells for minus all those costs tell me what my profit is alongside that we also have the return on investment so if i've borrowed the money from my uncle to do the project and he's lent me thirty-five thousand to do the project and i can let's just round it off let's say he's lent me forty thousand to buy that's the deposit money that's the renovation cost and everything and i know if i sell it i'm going to make A 20,000 pound profit on that particular deal my return on investment analysis involves me now looking at profit divided by cash invested and that gives me an opportunity to see if the money's working hard I might borrow the money from my uncle at 6% but I might be making 50% on the deal which means my net profit is 50% minus the 6% to my uncle, which is a 40, 44% return on investment, which is very, very good. So these are all the sorts of things you need to be analysing. That's from a cash perspective. Harms, do you want to walk us through the basics
1: on a cash passive income, so cash flow type analysis? Yeah, and I want to keep it simple because as you were speaking, I was curious to know how many kind of <laughs> rows of numbers would I analyse? So we're currently analysing <laughs> a couple of deals. Yeah. Uh, so I pull up a spreadsheet in the background, which I'm looking at now, just trying to quickly catch. It's a roughly about we're looking at 80 different if you imagine i'm looking at an excel spreadsheet and on that spreadsheet has rows there's 80 different factors or financial factors i'm factoring in for this particular one property which means I have broken down the costs associated with this, and I know some people who go another extreme on this. They got hundreds of rows based on each individual property, and that depends on what strategy you're focusing on. And, and but just uh, again, jumping in, remember we said this is simple once yeah.
0: you've got the system in place. So these are predetermined rows. Once you've got them, mm-hmm. you don't have to reinvent them.
1: You just put the numbers into them once you've got them. Correct. But that's that's the level of detail we would love you to get to at some point in the future so if we're looking at a buy renovate hold or potentially buy add a, add value and hold then we've got to think about very much three areas if you just if you're making notes on this number 1 is the entry cost number 2 is the holding cost associated with holding it whilst you renovate it and get it tenanted and number 3 is the exit. I'm going to call it exit, but this is essentially the long-term income that you'll generate from the house. Once it's all renovated, there's a tenant in the property, and now we're exiting it in, in the sense that we're handing it to a letting agent who's going to manage the process for us and pay us our rent every single month into our bank account. So number one is the entry cost, everything associated with that, the purchase price, the renovation, the solicitor's costs, if you're using a finance broker, a finance broker's cost. If you're borrowing funds for this particular deal, then you must factor in the cost of borrowing there. Now, say, for example, we purchase this house and it needs some renovation work doing to it. And just a ballpark number, it should it should be a lot quicker than this. Let's say we're renovating the house and it's going to take six months large-scale renovation now this renovation will have a cost associated every single month because we now own the house and we're holding it so an example for that might be the mortgage payment you must pay every month whilst the house is empty and being renovated so that goes according to the holding cost okay great now it's renovated all of the work is done a tenant now moves in so what money are we making? on the exit now that we're going to hold the property and rent it well now what we look at is the income the property generates i.e. the rent and then we start to minus a few costs off and this is the mistake that a lot of people we see wrote again and again where they don't factor the true expenses associated with each house they own into the mix. So when people come approach us, correct. I would ask them the question, okay, so great, amazing, you've got your first buy-to-let property, fantastic. I would say to them, what's the cash flow that you, that house is making you? And what I mean by that is, what is the net income after all expenses that that property is generating for you? But they won't answer me like that. What they will say is, oh, well, the house makes me about a thousand pound a month. Okay, great. So after all expenses, do you have a thousand pound a month in your bank account? Um, no, no, I don't. So they asked me, what do I mean by that? So what I mean by that is a thousand pound comes into your bank account for the rent. Now, are you minusing all the expenses of that when you calculate this in your head? And it's amazing to see how many people fall into this trap. So what we would typically do is minus your lettings fees. We would minus your mortgage that you pay. We'd minus insurance. We would also minus some additional costs, which helps future-proof against that particular property. These are typical expenses that may occur in the future. For example, putting some cash aside to replace the carpets if the tenant moves out in five years' time. So we also factor that in up front. Now, once all of those expenses, and there are a few other nuanced ones depending on what strategy you operate, once those expenses are taken out of the mix and taken away, now you are left with your income. Now, when you have that income, this is the figure that we're interested in, because this mm-hmm. is the figure that lands in your bank account. That when you go to the restaurant and they ask you to pay the bill, you can use that money, actual cash after all expenses and say, yep, amazing. We really enjoyed that pizza with the family. Here's the cash to pay the bill. Does that make sense, Ro? Yeah. And that, can, that can sometimes confuse people, but I thought I'd go into it a bit yeah i think it's important because the the cash flow
0: analysis is extreme i've done it with thousands and thousands of people now globally and it's one of those things that people think they've got it and i usually do a test with a bit of a game put an example up in front of the audience get people into teams of three and say right get to the back of the room with your answer and let's see which first team three teams get the right answer and people don't get the answer right the first time Mm. because they haven't taken some of these allowances you're talking about into consideration so property investing is definitely about understanding the numbers and of course having done the numbers in component number six, we now know, is it going to work? Is this going to give me the cash flow I want? Harminder might say, right, for my social housing properties, I'm looking for a minimum cash flow of 300 to say 650 pounds per month or dollars per month, whichever country you're in. And- that's my minimum. Now, remember, that's the cash flow. That's net of all of the other costs we've talked about. It's not the gross rent. His gross rent might be 1500 a month coming in. But after all the costs that Harmin has talked about, he's now sitting on, say, 650 a month or 600 pounds a month. And he says, great, that fits my criteria. I know what my offer price needs to be to buy it at this price. I need to put an offer in at this price. He's secured it. I look at my student let and I say, right, minimum cash flow, 800 pounds a month to 1000 pounds a month. Six rooms being let out. I'm looking for at least 2,000 a month gross coming in. Hopefully I should net out about 800 to 1,000. If it comes in at 450 and Hamindus comes in at 320, he's going to look at it. And we're both sat next to our computers alongside each other, him looking at his strategy, me looking at mine. And we both say, that is not good enough. That's what we mm. would say with our Indian mm. accents. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Because it just, it, it doesn't fit our numbers. Now, both of us, can rejig the numbers. Both of us can play with the numbers. Harminder might say, well, I could probably, he may not be able to get much more out of that because he's got a set amount agreed with the social housing department, or whatever. But what if he drops his house price? If he brings the house price down, he maybe can get the cash flow up. I might look at mine and say, well, let me just check. What if I could turn the extra space downstairs into one additional room Now I can get my cash flow up. So that might be how I do it. So there's possibilities to reconfigure the house, possibilities to just go in with a low, low offer. I might need to bring it down another eight or 10 or 15,000, and then the numbers will work for me, in which case that's what I do. So the analysis drives your final decision about your offer. I think that's an important one to state there.
1: Anything else you want to add before we go to component number seven, Harms? Uh, No, I think that's fantastic. I think once you, it can seem daunting to start with, but once you master the analysis, That's where a lot of our decisions then to actually purchase come from. Once we get laid down the line, many people are maybe nervous, oh my goodness, do I buy this house? Do I not buy this house? Well, actually component number six, the analysis is one of the core components in order to allow us to make the decision to actually purchase. It allows the numbers to do the talking as such. So that's the only point I wanted to add. Yeah, uh, because Just master it, master it, master it. Master it, because once we have now analyzed it, and we're saying, actually, I would like to purchase this house for this particular price point. That's that works for me in my analysis. I want to go ahead with it. What's the next thing we need to do? Well, which is well, component yeah, I number mean, seven component number seven. And it, it doesn't necessarily, as we've said already, it's not necessarily
0: in this order, but we, this is a pretty good sequence we're going through is you need to be looking at raising your capital. Now, in theory, you should have started that process earlier, mm. but maybe you have already done that maybe i've spoken to Harminder. i've spoken to my uncle i've spoken to my business partner i've looked at my company accounts and have seen there's money there there's there's multiple ways to raise money and we'll give you quick headlines on this in just a moment and i had that conversation maybe two months ago with various people but now i can see this deal stacking up let's say Homs and i are both business partners and our strategies are social housing and students and i've cracked a deal and he's cracked a deal and we've we need between the two of us in our business 75K for the two deals. We now go to the pot of people that we know if we're working with individuals and we say, right, who have we got that said they've got money available? Let's go back and raise that capital. Or It might be we've got the money already in the pot. It's ready in the bank account. It might be in the company account. or It might be that we're refinancing another one of our properties. And the remortgaging or the refinancing, that's a technical term that's used in the industry to say that you've added value to a property and now you can refinance, meaning that you can put a new finance on that property, albeit that now it's at a higher price. So the bank will give you a higher mortgage than the previous mortgage you had. And if done correctly, the new mortgage pays off the old mortgage. So the new mortgage might be 100000 the old mortgage might be £75,000. In doing that, you pull out £25,000 and it could be that that £25,000 of refinanced equity is what Harms and I are going to use towards these deals. So raising capital is a constant and ongoing process, especially if you're expanding a property business and it falls into three categories. So if I give you the headlines and maybe I'll do a couple and Harminder can cover one as well. So the headlines are private money, If everyone's making a note of this. So, private money, institutional money, if you're listening to this, institutional money, and then creative. So, if I cover Harms, creative and institutional, do you want to do a little bit on private? Yeah, sounds good. So, maybe just if you just describe it. So, if I start with institutional, then you do private, and I'll finish with creative. Okay, sounds good. So, I'll get. We're not going to go into the detail of this because this this in itself could be an hours long teaching session. So just so you all understand, these are the three headlines of ways that capital can be used for your property investment business. And again, it could be used towards buying the property or it could be used towards refurbishing the property. And again, we can't give you financial advice here. You have to go and seek that independently. But it depends on the strategy, the structure of the deal and the lending and what your lender's requirements are when it comes to the table of actually buying a property. Institutional money is basically going to institutions like a bank like a credit card company, like a loan company, it is institutional money. So you're likely to have to fill in paperwork that's more formal, you're likely to have your credit file checked as part of the process, and you'll be signing an agreement with that organisation or that institution. And there's a lot of money out there to be borrowed in institutional money, probably not as much as there might be with Harminder section, which will be private, but there is a lot out there. So This is for you to go out and look at what is available. When you get a letter through the door saying, hi, we're a loan company, we're happy to lend you money on this. We're a credit card company, we're happy to lend you money on this. We're a bank, we're happy to lend you money on this. That would be typical examples of institutional money.
1: Over to you, Harms. Fantastic. And where I think this is very powerful, Ro, in terms of raising capital as a whole component, as a subject, is often the question I would get now is, harms just don't understand i'm struggling to get on the property ladder if, if if somebody from my generation is asking me the question i'm really struggling to get on the property ladder how have you gone and bought multiple properties in the speed that you have and i would say this is the big differentiation between doing it slowly over your entire lifetime versus actually being able to build a business quite quickly in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, the question is, Oh my goodness, how did you grow a portfolio so quickly or your friends? How I see your friends with these fantastic people on Instagram and Facebook and your community, how have they grown portfolio so quickly? Well, actually it's asking yourself the difference between how quickly are you able to save the deposits the renovation costs associated with the houses so let's take the example myself and Ro gave £75,000 to get into a student-let property £75,000 for student-let property and a social housing property how long would it take you to save £75,000 versus if your deal is structured the correct way or the right way how long would it take you to raise seventy five grand? and if you're very good at this and you build this as a business and learn the skill set around raising capital It's actually so much quicker to raise £75,000 than it is to save £75,000. Most people in the UK, if you're listening to us in the UK, don't even earn £75,000 in the year, never mind have the ability to save it. So that's just a reality of how we do this and why this component is so pivotal. And it's almost like the secret combination. And once you master the skill set and do it properly, safely, it's an incredible skill to have. So on that note, private money. This is actually one of the areas where people can start and often people end up building their entire business off this area. I agree with Ro, it's not as a large and some can debate whether it's an unlimited pool that you'll get in the institutional world. But certainly private money, think about it in regards to a category of people that like you. They personally know you or they know you from a second source and they trust you. So they like you, they know you and trust you. And they're fed up with the banks. The banks are now offering, you know, 1% at best on people's savings, but they're willing to work with somebody they like, know, and trust, and invest in one of their projects, i.e. it could be your property project, and lend you a bit of cash for a period of time. Who are these people? Well, these are the people who who like, know, and trust you. They're just the key, key three words to write here. They could be friends, they could be family, it could be mum and dad, it could be a brother, it could be a sister, it could be an uncle, it could be a distant uncle, it could be a friend of a friend, it could be your grandparents who've got a whole bunch of cash. They are tired of the low amount of income they generate from their pension, but they've got a load of cash in the bank that's being eroded by inflation and they may say to you, okay, I see that you're doing this property business, you've been educated in the right way, we're going to give it, give you a go and we're going to go with one property to start with with you what can you do for us? And then you'll go ahead and raise capital against whether it's your social housing project, whether it's against your student-led project, or whatever the strategy is that you decided to explore from episode number one. So that's private money. It's borrowing money from somebody who likes, knows, and trusts you. Now, there's a whole (laughs)
0: legal
1: side of things to discuss, but that's not the purpose. It's just to make you aware that it's easier to raise 75 grand than it is to save it. And it is even easier if your business is built correctly, safely, soundly, to borrow money from people in your sphere of influence and your circle of friends and family. So that's private. Now, Ro, you've got another one which is creative. Last and this one's creative, forward. yeah. And just yeah. quickly jumping on
0: there as well is all about approach, it's all about building a trust with people. It's not about being desperate. And that whole area of raising money is a massive subject in its own right. It's fantastic. Uh, Creative is really just, or creative or crazy is the term we use often. It's just simply any other way that you might be able to raise money. So you might, I mean, I, I had a young chap several years back now and him and his mum had one of these jet ski things and it was worth about 4k and they just said you know what and they and they had a, a two cars and they said well, what if we go down to a one car it was a single mum single dad uh, single mum look with the son he's like early 20s what if we just get rid of one car sell a jet ski maybe we could raise 12000 off the back of that 12 13000 pounds what have you got that you could do or sell so you might have a service you could offer you might have something that you own that you want to get rid of think creatively on other ways that you could potentially raise money we've had people go off and you know discover they've got money in shares and things like that which they hadn't thought about before so i don't know what it is but what i'm saying is that outside of the first two categories either what i covered which is institutional or what harminder covered which is private money there might be another Area that you could potentially get access to money and that would be creative
1: just on the back of that actually it's just come to mind and I can't believe it's taken this long to actually pop into my mind so for many people who know myself and my my business partner within my digital marketing agency because of what's going on at the moment we did a research project and we have actually compiled completely for free 200 different ways to creatively earn an income and it's all online and you can do it from home so there's 200 different ways it's on a, oh, a nice. spreadsheet and what we'll do as a gift for the growth tribes podcast listeners i'll put that in the show notes so growthtribes.com forward slash podcast it will be a link in the show notes and it's uh, it's That's currently nasty. an excel sheet nothing fancy but it's 200 and we've vetted these so we've actually gone through 200 uh, you know genuine ways that people can make anything from 50 pence Anything up to 400, they, they always class it in dollars because these companies Brilliant. are typically based all around the world. So dollars is a powerful currency. So that's 200 different ways. So that would be amazing to share that with our listeners. Fantastic. I love that. And maybe that
0: could be the theme of uh, another one of our podcasts, actually, Harms. We should think yeah, about that. Make, a, that. make a note of that, yeah. Okay, so that's step seven, which is raising capital. Uh, well, okay, component seven. I've got to be mindful of saying step. Although yeah. in this process, it might well be a step on the back of analysis that gets us to the last three components. Component number eight is operation or your operational dream team. Another term that's sometimes used by people is your power team, your wonder team, whatever you want to call it. So we tend to refer to it as a power team or an operational team. These are the people that are necessary to make your business work. Now, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this, but if I just simplify it, you have a local team And you have a core team. The core team are the people that basically support everything in the background. People like your mortgage broker, your lawyer, your accountant. These are the people that typically don't have to be geographically in the location where you're buying. But they do need to be familiar with and experienced in and around the property investing field. So I've got my, you know, I've got one I've got my accountant who lives about four hours from where I am. I've got two lawyers that I use. Both of them are probably, well, one of them's in the north of England, one's in the south of England. So they're, you know, they're good anywhere from an hour to three hours away. I've got a bookkeeper that we have in the team. She's four hours away. I've got a personal assistant. We've got architects. They're all over the country, so they don't have to necessarily be in the area that you're invested but you do need these people on your team and then you've got your local team and that's local to wherever you're investing so for example hamindo when he was living up in the north of england developed a bit of a core team up there with his wife that will be local to where they were investing same thing for me i've got other properties around different parts of the country so every area that you invest you will need core people examples of that would be a builder definitely an estate agent and a letting agent and an estate agent being a realtor if you listen to this from the States or Canada or someone like Australia. So usually what we do is with people we draw up an example of who your core team should be in one area mm. uh, your, your local team and who your core sh- team should be for a specific type of strategy. Mm. If Harminder was doing developments he would need a larger core team and probably a larger local team than if he was doing Straight buy to let residential renting out properties. So your operation team will expand or contract depending on your strategy. They are vital. They are essential. They are critical to your business. And without them, your business will fall on its face. And this is where the DIY thing comes in. And I'll hand over to Harms. Maybe can talk into the space as well. But the challenge I get when I'm out teaching is a lot of people go, oh, yeah, well, I know how to do this. I know how to do analysis. I know how to find properties and I know how to, um, you know, uh, check my credit file. I go, great. Where do you want to buy? I want to buy in the north of England. Well, I'm teaching you here. You, you, this is south of London. North of England's like seven, eight hours away. Yeah, but I've got a builder. OK, so where's your builder? Well, my builder's down here in Croydon. OK, so you've got a build in Croydon in the south of England and you want to build a portfolio of 20 properties in the north. Your builder's not going to want to travel up and down there. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah, but I've got a letting agent. And where's your letting agent? Down in Croydon. Okay, your, your Croydon letting agent manages properties in Croydon, not in the north of England. So it's being mindful that Although you might think you can do it yourself, having a team of people around you in a different area makes a massive difference. So learn to use and leverage other people. I'll just hand over to you to, to wrap this up, Harms. Anything else you want to add to that?
1: So the final thing, just to, I mean, you've summed that up great, which is one is a local team and number two is a team which doesn't doesn't depend on a geographic location because of the kind of work they do and it's typically professional kind of work. Just to finish off actually on the DIY, which is a fascinating thing, and we meet an incredible amount of people <laughs> like this, and and it is a lot. And I and ah, I do. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. I try to empathise, but I just can't because they essentially, if you're listening to this, at the core of it, you want to build, and it's obviously going to be different for different people. But you would want to be. Typically, people want to build this business in order to free up more time, in order for them to do the things that they want to do in life. That's what's very special and magical about a property business. It doesn't matter what strategy you operate, there's going to be parts of it that can be handed over to a team. And you factor these costs in into the analysis, component number six, can be handed over to a team. And it's an amazing thing. Any business owner who's built a business Who's actually built it would very quickly tell you that the idea of building a business is to work on it not in it and if you're listening to this please take that approach because you're so early on in this now it's a great time not to get sucked into the trap of creating another job where you're involved in it spend the time hiring your team very well and you know you will thank us for it in 10 years time 15 years time So that's the only thing I wanted to add there, Rose, just work on your business, not within your business. And it's time to start treating property like a business, which takes us nicely onto component number nine, which is treating this in, in terms of a business structure and having a business plan. Mm, okay, so what we'll do
0: is the last two components, nine and ten, I'll tackle mm. number nine and then maybe you could lead off with the last component and yeah. then I'll jump in on that one. So, look, this is such a complicated subject, business planning and structure, That, and I'm not a tax advisor nor is Harminder, so we can't, we've can't. got to be mindful of that. But under this section, you've got, so where it's nine, it's it's business planning, it's tax planning and it's structuring. They're the three components. So the business planning is really going back to your strategy. What do you want to achieve in what time frame and how much have you got available to play with? So typical plans would be uh, I want to get to £3,000 a month passive income. I'd like to buy properties that are no more than this much in purchase price. I want to achieve this much minimum cash flow per property. And for the back of that, if you said I want to get to 3000 a month and I want to get £1,000 per property, then you'd need three properties that would be part of our plan if you said you're aiming for properties that produce 500 a month then you need six properties so we would make a plan based on that we'd say right you're going to get to six properties over the next three years that's two properties a year in order to do that what do we need to do well and then we break it down we go back and we say well, we've got to raise capital if i'm buying at this price i don't want to spend more than this much in renovation now now i've got a typical entry costs deposit money typical renovation costs now I've started to work out a plan in terms of financially what needs to be put in place. Structurally what needs to be put in place, I need to start considering am I buying it on my own? Am I buying it as a partnership, say, with Harminda? Or are Harminda and I going to set up a limited company to buy the properties together and do it in a corporate structure for tax efficiency? Is it a special purpose vehicle because it's a one-off project? Are these going to be, what about protecting myself for the future if I die? Got a limited company. Have I got a will in place? Which, by the way, we're going to cover on a separate podcast. We're going to actually tackle wills because this is life planning and legacy planning is such a big subject, particularly now at the moment. Uh, we felt it was important to bring in one of the UK's leading specialists in this so we're very privileged to do that and you'll be listening out to that but that comes into this as well we're actually asking the question about property is how do we structure around that as well so these are all considerations most people think oh well surely it's just I want to get a property I want to get a cash flow I just go buy the property and then later on they hit get hit with big tax bills or if something happens and there's a breakup in the relationship who gets which part of the property or if somebody passes away how do the kids get it so all these are major considerations and of course if 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 you want to be tax efficient, buying a property in your own name versus a limited company, very, very different. So these are all major considerations. Component number nine, big subject. So I think I'm just going to pause there. Is there anything you want to add to that? I mean, you came into this at quite a young age. So this was quite a for you. This was like, I mean, do you think that a lot of young people don't think about this? Whereas I think older people tend to because we've been hit with pain of not structuring in the past. Do you think young people are more? open to this or just ignore it and just want to get on and get the job done
1: I say the, the the gut feeling from the conversations I have with people is this is not top of mind so it is a case of let me just get on with it this is something I can sort out later so I think that's a great question to ask our expert who's going to be joining us on the podcast which is what should young people how should young people approach business planning structure structuring their business because the, the fact of it is if you get it wrong from day one it can be very expensive later down the line So let's get it right from the initial setup so it doesn't become that costly later. So I think that's a question that I want to ask our experts. So I'd say to our listeners, join us on that because I would like his take on how should young because I've got my, you know, for myself and our business, we've got a will set up. So, you know, we've taken the advice of experts to get it done early. But even when I was building my business in the first year, I was very blasé about it. I'll say, okay, let me just build it, let me just build it and worry about this stuff later. So it is important, and I think our generation should think about it early because it can be very expensive. Why wait 40 years to think about it? So hopefully our expert coming in can answer that question for me personally because I've, that's a personal thing that I want to discover. Yeah. So, OK, so so component number nine is is all about structure.
0: Be thinking about that all the way through the building of your property business, but particularly when you come to securing the asset and where it finally gets placed, because that also affects the type of mortgage and the funding you can get. Limited companies attract a different type of funding to buying in your own name. And I'll I'll press pause there because that in itself is a big subject, which takes us to component number 10, which Arminda can kick off with. And that's the last component, which is viewing properties and putting offers out
1: there. Mm, Absolutely. So let's assume that we are, a time where we can, it's its sensible and it's okay to go view houses because currently, you know, within with our business, we're not allowed to, but there's been a few tweaks, you know, they're starting to allow us to, some estate agents and other ways that we source and find deals are allowing us to view the properties via video conference calling or FaceTime and Skype calling and all these amazing technological things, which makes me wonder why was I ever traveling four hours up the motorway to go view houses But once we do come out of this, the preference should always be to physically go and view the houses that fit the criteria. So when we say criteria, it means market research is done. It means you've done your online research. It means you've done your analysis. It means you've got the capital. You're raising the capital alongside of everything that you're doing in order for you to physically view the house. And the reason we want you to physically view the house is because we must ensure that it actually fits everything that you want. But also there's four walls, it's standing, we get a better gauge on how much things are going to cost in terms of renovation. There's, I'll give you the property world is not as rosy as people would like it to be. So for example, the house could be advertised in regards to being an empty vacant property at the moment. Okay, that could be the case. Now I've visited houses that are advertised as vacant properties, but actually there's tenants inside it. And when I asked to see that the tenants AST, they are on a six month AST. Some on a twelve month AST. Just so, expand on AST because remember we've got international of listeners. <laughs> so assured, short hold tenancy. So this is an agreement between yourself and the tenant which protects both parties and essentially gives them the contract and the confinement for which they can rent this property for you. So it's an agreement in place, and it's a very powerful agreement.
0: Can I just jump in and talk into that space quickly? So in all the years I've been out overseas, a lot of the time we're teaching on real estate, people go, oh, yeah, but what about getting the tenants out? So if I go to Australia, South Africa, even places like New Zealand and certainly parts of Europe, when I explain that we have a formal legal agreement, between ourselves and the tenant in the United Kingdom, which means that when the tenant goes in, we have the r- legal right to get them out of the property after a certain period. It's a six-month agreement, typically giving them two months notice. And that's why the banks are so comfortable lending to us in the United Kingdom with interest-only mortgages, as we talked about previously in the first part uh, of this podcast. Our banks are relaxed. One of the main reasons is because of these ASTs. They make it easier for them In the event that a mortgage is not paid by a landlord to get the tenants out under the AST, it means as well as landlords that we have a structure here, which which is why the UK is such an amazing place to invest, because we've got lenders lending interest only mortgages. We're not restricted on how many mortgages we can get typically, again, seek independent financial advice. And we have an AST system and a short short old tenancy team agreement in place, which is a legal contract between ourselves and the tenant, which means we can get them out, whereas other countries they can't. I'm glad you raised this because it's a great way to round this off as well. Sorry, I jumped in there, but I just think it's an important point to raise.
1: That's fine. Absolutely, Ro. Because once you've now viewed the house, the next stage will be to offer on the property. And most interactions you have let's assume it's conventionally through an estate agent they will actually ask you to view the house before you offer anyway they won't just take offers of the phone without you actually viewing now you are maybe if you've caught on you would have heard me say offers and this is a big thing that is almost a light bulb moment for people who come and spend time with us which is we're not solely reliant on offering on just one single property that's not the focus here the focus here will be offering on multiple properties so let's assume okay if you take myself and my scenario four years ago five years ago I would go and view maybe ten houses a day and offer on maybe eight or nine of those properties so i would put multiple offers on multiple properties that fitted my particular strategy at the time now why is that important because property is dynamic. Every uh, offer that we put out may not get accepted. Let's assume that we are offering 80, 90,000 pound for a 100,000 pound house. Now, not everybody's going to accept that in the first instance, but if I've got 10 of those offers out, the probability of one or two getting accepted increases. So why is this different to how commonly people approach property and even property investing? It's because typically people will get very much obsessed or very much attached to one house. Okay, so I've got this one house. It's going to be a great investment. Uh, I'm offering this much. I'm currently negotiating it. And that particular negotiation may take two months, three months, six months. And in all that time, their focus and obsession has just been on this one particular property. Whereas in that time you're competing against people like myself or our friends or maybe a Dr. Ro out in the market who's got 10 offers out for every one offer you've got out. So the idea here, and I just want you to take away this simple light bulb, is we're not going to get obsessed about one particular property. We've done the analysis. We know that all 10 work. So we're going to get offers with an S at the end out as soon as possible as soon as humanly possible after we actually view the houses so that's the key there so that's it well i think we there's nothing more to add there unless you've got anything um, you want to leave (laughs) no no i think i think we'll leave it there (laughs) this
0: whole part of viewing and offers is in itself a
1: massive subject it's an art form as well it's an
0: art form communication comes in massively those of you that have been following maybe some of the stuff that we've been doing or i've got on instagram on communication That really plays out. It's how you communicate your message across effectively, how you negotiate and then how you get impact with that offer to get them to say, yes, I want to sell to you. And there's several ways you can do this. You can bring the creativity in. You can make it a win win. There's loads of factors here, but they are the components. Overall, there's your 10 components. I'll just quickly recap them very quickly. So So, so let me
1: give them let me give the listeners an example of that. So COVID-19 coronavirus is going on. We have had to, everything Ro has just said there, we have had to uh, do within a very short time scale. So there's a house that we've currently secured for a client. It's 80, it's worth 85, 90,000 pound top end, and we've secured it for 62,500 pound. And so that's where that becomes an art form. It becomes t- taking all of these things and, and applying them too communication was essential in that process knowing how turbulent the times were at the moment okay so that was just an example to so people no, but it's, know it,
0: it's, it's a great point and i think a lot of people get nervous about this but if you have a structure in a system then it's just about applying that to any communication that you have
1: amazing uh, so if you, if you summarize row and then yeah. we can give listeners maybe four or five different action points we want to sure. leave them with okay. so just in recap for
0: everybody listening because this has been a pretty intense two And if you notice, this has been more of a teachy style podcast, and I I, I was going to apologize for it and say, sorry, if it's a bit teachy, but actually it's the only way for us to get this across in a succinct manner. As opposed to some of our other podcasts where they may be more conversational and we're coming from different perspectives, which we have been a little bit today. But we just felt that if we got this structure out, at least you've got something to work with and you can get an appreciation of it and say, actually, I'd love to do this as a business or actually I'm not ready for this right now. But at least I understand what's involved. So I don't just go messing around with this. I've got to do it professionally. So component number one is vision. Having a very clear vision of how you want this business to be component number two is having the right strategy and getting yourself educated and there's multiple multiple strategies we talked about three main ones which was cash passive income and creative component number three is making sure that your credit status your credibility to the banks is high and that you understand how mortgages work and you've got a good mortgage lender Component number four is doing your market research started that today understanding the market, doing the research based on the type of strategy you want to do. Component number five is finding those properties, getting out, drilling down. And having done that, you move to component number six and check the numbers on the properties you found in component number five. Analysis could be anything from cash flow analysis, which I'm going to briefly covered with you, right through to return on investment, which I talked about, which is buying and renovating and selling, taking money in from angels, for example, paying them back. Does it still work for you? There's also yield, which we didn't talk about as well. But analysis is very important. Raising the money should have started earlier, but now you've found the deal. Component number seven. Right. Let's find out who's going to give me that money. How am I going to raise it? Is it it internally money I've got or is it external money I need to bring into the business to make it happen? Eight is your operation your dream team. Who do you need around you to make this business work? Who can you leverage? Who skills do you have to make this a business rather than another job for you? Number nine is getting the right planning place, having the right structure, and then being tax efficient, not just for you, but for your kids in the future, and wills, which we'll cover in a separate podcast. And then 10, you heard Tommy to talk about there, is viewing the properties and putting offers out and always coming in low and having enough offers out there so you don't sweat it, and eventually
1: you'll get the deals at the right price. Mm. that's it 10 components 10 components two-part series a two-part podcast series it's been <laughs> phenomenal so <laughs> as always we know look everything we've spoken about will be on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast in regards yeah. to the show notes so you know if you're thinking okay i didn't have a chance to note all this down it's going to be in the show notes there for you and of course if you're following along you know we transcribe every episode so it's a nice it's almost like going to be a property super guide for you beginner's guide for you so yeah I hope uh, leverage that. It's on the show notes. Can I be cheeky and add some? Well, it's
0: cheeky. I mean, it's Growth Tribes. But so within the Growth Tribes community, those of you that are there already great, those of you that haven't, please go and visit us. You know, we may have mentioned it before, but I always like to keep raising it. We have a community of people that hang out together online. It's a subscription. It's a private area with a whole vault of information, everything from time management to relationships to money management. What we are looking to put in there very shortly is a series on property investing, And that will give you these components broken down into a little bit more detail. So keep an eye out for that. That will be coming in the coming months. And there's other great tools in there that will help you as an effective communicator as well from a property perspective.
1: Fantastic. And when that arrives, we'll let you know in the introduction video so you don't miss it. that will be for sure. What we would normally do at the end of every episode is leave the listeners with some actions. Let's do that for part one and part two. So if you share a couple, I'll share a couple. Okay. So
0: I I talked about this just previously, but just in the Part one, but just to recap, consider how much time that you have and do you want to be a hands-on or a hands-off investor? So me in my fifties now tend to be more hands-off. So for example, Harmindas found us a few properties just recently. So I'll pay a fee to somebody that I trust that can find me a deal. They've done all the work. Because they've done the work, they deserve to earn that money because of the research they've done which has taken the, the pressure off me. But if I'm more hands on, then I'm going to be in the market, which I was in my early days physically involved more in the whole process of finding and also the projects themselves. So that's important to consider now because that will determine the direction you take your property business next question I would ask you is do you want passive income or cash right now you might be very cash rich some people have got a lot of money set in the bank but they don't have any passive income and you're thinking right I need to get properties in place right now that are going to produce a passive income for me or it might be the other way around it might be that actually you're not very cash rich so you need to apply strategies that are going to generate you cash very quickly like for example sourcing properties or buying and renovating properties and from the back of that after a year year and a half you've generated cash you can now go and buy passive income properties. so think About which is going to come first for you. It might be you want to do a mixture of both, and then finally just discuss and capture on paper how you want the future to look. Go back to the vision, which is component number number one, and picture yourself with a portfolio. How many properties would you like to own? How much cash flow you might? It might not be a huge amount. It might be just a thousand, fifteen hundred. Some of you might be three or four thousand. Some of you might six or seven thousand a month. But how do you want that to look? Because if you don't have that vision now then you won't have the inspiration, the drive and the direction to take your business. And that's when the education comes in on the strategy. So three things, hands on or hands off, passive income first or cash first or a mixture of both. And start writing out how the future would look for you as a property investor and how it would change your life and what it could do for you. There'll be three good exercises to do right now.
1: Fantastic. And if I was to add two more, and one is really speaking to my generation, which is, Asking if you've been working in, in a career from you know the age of twenty to thirty, I uh, just want you to ask yourself the question: Do you genuinely love your work? You know, if you do, fantastic. But if you maybe you know, not quite sure. I don't actually. No, actually, I don't. I'm just really in this career or job because of the income and because of the, you know the the salary. That's fine. So once you've answered that question, then maybe if you don't love what you do and you can't see yourself doing that for the rest of your time, ask yourself a second question, which is, would you be prepared to put in the time to actually go ahead and build a passive income, to go ahead and build a property portfolio or a property business, depending on what strategy you want to focus on? So those are two questions just to start getting yourself thinking. You Maybe you want to journal it. Maybe you want to write this down, write it in your Word document, whatever it is. Answer those questions and start to download what you're feeling and what what your approach is there because if you don't love your work look you've got 30 to 40 years left in that career doing something you maybe just don't love and that's a that's a lot of time to exchange whereas you know building a property business can be done in two three four five years Compare that to 30 years in a career that you just don't love. So the question there is, are are you prepared or would you be prepared to put in the time to build a property investment income? So that's number one. Parallel to what you're doing. Just remember that parallel, parallel. Absolutely. We're not asking anybody to when you go down this pathway of learning and expanding and. It's not going to be a case of I'm going to leave my job tomorrow and build a property income. It's all done parallel. It's all done at the same time. That's something we must emphasize. The final element is if you don't, if you listen to this and you said, wow, actually, this is phenomenal. This has expanded my knowledge on property investing and what it means. I would say it's still essential to learn it. I mean, look, the reality is we're surrounded by housing and you may not want to build a property business personally, but you still may want to invest in property because you understand that property as an investment vehicle is fantastic. What I suggest is, you know, still explore. And I guess what I'm doing is reinforcing what we spoke about in podcast episode one on this topic is go ahead and still learn and develop an understanding of property in a deeper level start to specialize because even if you go ahead and work with a sourcing agent a estate agent or somebody else who has a property business you want to be clued up you don't want them to lead you almost or lead you astray with the information that they are potentially giving you if you know as much as they know then you're in a level playing field and you're wiser when you're investing So the place to go to get this, just to start to continue to stay involved in learning about property, probably the best place is check out Dr. Rowe's free videos. So what Rowe does probably once or twice a week is he'll talk into the space of property investing, whether it's live on his Facebook or the best place to access it immediately is go to his website. And that's www.drorowe.com. Dot TV. And I'll say it for you, Ro, because I know I know you won't <laughs> want to plug it naturally, but drow.tv, head over to the blog, and that is all business and property orientated blogs. Growth Tribes is personal development, but Rose one of his other passions is property investing. He educates it for over two decades now. So head over to Dr Roe.TV for the website and the blog, or check out his Facebook and Instagram at drow.tv for videos all around the topic of property investing that will keep this you know the momentum going off the back of these two episodes okay and also just a quick reminder before you yeah. wrap up
0: is uh, do stay uh, drop questions to us on this subject and remember haminder and his business partner have created a great list which i think we're going to put into the into the back of the podcast here as well
1: Absolutely. 200 ways to make money online so that, that will all go in the show notes growthtribes.com forward slash podcast It's been a pleasure sharing this stuff with you because I know, I mean, we're passionate on this topic. We operate this within our lives. You know, it's a part of our income stream. So again, it's been a pleasure to share this with you. So two massive parts to get you started discovering property investing and building a property business. We'll see you in the next episode. That's myself and Ro signing out. Hello, it's Dr. Rowe here. Harms and I would both like to
0: personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Growth Tribes and if you've gained just one insight something positive that you're able to use on a personal level on a professional level to help your life maybe even other people's lives then we'd love it if you could take action on one of the following things. You can either simply subscribe so you don't miss out on any other great insights coming up in the future You can share this podcast with close friends so they can also get the benefits of the tips and tools that we're sharing. Or it would be amazing if you could give us a review and let others know just how great this episode was. And finally, if you do have a question, don't forget to submit it on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening. This is Dr. Rowan Harm signing out and we'll see you again on the next podcast.